Come stop and take a trip down on my block Where you see hidden potential, young minds sharper than pencil And ain't afraid to speak they mind if they got something against you We standing with you, we tackle issues like civic pride Hate will cease to exist, let's put our differences aside From my side to your side, from Dutch Town to South Side From Penrose to North Side, from Benton Park to Old North The West End, the West Side, we blessed when we step out We stand down, rise up, stand together, wise up this is Stitchcast Studio, produced by St. Louis Story Stitchers in St. Louis, Missouri. This program is a special edition of Stitchcast Studio called The Why of My City and is funded by Missouri Humanities Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. Funding for this grant is provided by the CARES Act and the National Endowment for the Humanities. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. I'm resident of, of University City and Parks Department and author of many books. <laughs> uh, Brett Rome, who's pastor of a church that, uh, at the city. Make sure I got the name of the church correctly. One Family, One Family Church. Okay, one which family. is unique. Uh, he's a former neighbor. Uh, at least they say, looking out the window, his house and see my old home. I can see it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in your city over 40 some years. I'd love to stay there, but I couldn't afford the new places. So I had to, and that's a sad thing, but many of the kids who grew up can't afford to come back because of the cost of the housing. And so it's it's made some remarkable, remarkable turnaround. And it's a good story to tell. I've told that story many places I've traveled and spoken to groups, how you had a community that came together to save the community and didn't desert it like some neighborhoods. And I, I think of things, asking white sometimes who you had, you know, you ran off, did you, did you lose, you know? So let's talk about U-City Loop. That's what we're here today. We, there's a lot of tales we can talk about all over U-City, but we're gonna focus in on the Loop. What do we know about the Loop? How did it get its name? What, what about it, Ashley? You've been around a while. How did name come about? Well, uh, in the old days with the streetcars, most of the streetcars were designed with uh, uh, driving only at one end. So that meant if they wanted to turn around and go back downtown, they had to turn the whole streetcar around. And that took quite a bit of space. So in University City, there was a loop on the north side of Del Mar, east of Kingsland. And the the streetcar would turn right there, go down what was in right at that time. Now it's part of the parking lot, and then uh, turn left on Kingsland and left again on Delmar, and then they could go back downtown. And almost every streetcar had one of those loops. There are actually two loops in Maplewood. There's the Yale Loop and the Sutton Loop, which were two different streetcar lines that turned around. Uh how did it start getting developed? You know, we got this thing, I've seen pictures of a University City garden uh, and roller coasters and everything. And it started, I don't know if that's when it started, the loop, or when did it start? You, you're a historian. When the streetcar uh, started, it came out to Kingsland primarily because that's where the 
second streetcar that went the whole way out to Creefcore Lake started. There was actually no people living in that part of University City uh, and even in the uh, west end of uh, the city part of Del Mar at that time, but it was worth going out there to make that connection. And many streetcar companies founded amusement parks at the end of the line to encourage people to take the streetcar more often and to go to the end of the line. So the last one was the, uh, the last amusement park like that was the one out at Chain of Rocks Bridge there was something called the Chain of Rocks Amusement Park, and that lasted until the late 1960s, I think. I remember seeing the foundations for that, uh, still standing, just standing there in a field. But uh, so the Del Mar Garden was originally a, an amusement park started by the streetcar company, and it had two theaters in it. One actually did Shakespeare and, uh, you know, kind of, uh, high-flown uh, dramas, and the other one did mostly musical comedies. But uh, it, at the time of the First World War, they uh, couldn't keep going anymore, and that, that uh, amusement park closed, and Delmar's Garden Subdivision was built on that site in 1920. And east of there, between Eastgate and Westgate, there was a, a a race course, the Del Mar track. And uh, that was the last race course that actually had horse races in the state of Missouri. It, it was shut down by the police in 1906 and there never has been another legal race course built in the entire state of Missouri since that time. And so, and the names of the streets refer to the gates that let you into the into the race course. Yeah, and, East Gate and West Gate. Was yeah. that north of Del Mar or was that south of Del Mar? It was north of Del Mar, where oh, East Gate and West Gate are. Yeah. And wow. uh, I think it went the whole way up to uh, Vernon. But um, it, there were quite a few race courses in St. Louis. The most famous one was at uh, Fairgrounds Park, which at that time was a privately owned park. And um, in the 19th century, there was more attention paid to horse racing in the newspaper than there was to baseball. It was one of the most uh, uh, interested uh, spectator sports. But Gradually, at the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century, it was more and more taking, taken over by gambling interests. And so a lot of people thought that it was a blight on society. And one of those people was uh, Governor Folk, F-O-L-K, who was the prosecuting attorney for the city of St. Louis. He tried to shut down the, the race courses but the uh, gambling interests in the county were paying off the county police and they wouldn't uh, shut down. So Folk had himself elected governor of the state and had a state law passed. And then he was able to deputize the St. Louis City Police as state marshals. And they came out and closed down the uh, Del Mar track. There were, I think, 47 bookies arrested at that last race. <laughs> that is the women's uh, convention that was held in St. Louis in, uh, in University City 
in 1911. And that's where they established the Women's Republic. And uh, E.G. Lewis had already established uh, the Women's Magazine, which was, I believe, a weekly. And then he had a daily newspaper also. And so he was very much involved in the women's voting rights uh, movement, as was his wife. And, uh, and so they used what is now the city council chamber of the magazine building, the present city hall, to hold a national convention. And these are some of the ladies who attended, dressed to the nines, as you can see. Okay, uh, that's looking west on Delmore. So uh, it's looking north, actually. Uh, and the sidewalk that they're on was where the printing press building was. It was called the Egyptian building. And uh, uh, that was torn down to create Shar Emmeth Synagogue in 1931. Yeah, we can see the uh, statue of the lions. Uh, yeah, you can see that they're still under construction at that Right, point. over on the left. They started to be built in 1909, but this was a year or two later. Okay, let's try the next shot. Okay, that's uh, the, uh, I guess the, the Arts building. Academy? Yeah. Uh, w another a way that Lewis wanted to promote uh, sales of his publications, particularly the women's magazine, was by establishing a, establishing a university in University City. University City was incorporated in 1906 and named for Washington University. But uh, by 1911, it had its own university. And the first building that was built was the Lewis, what we now call the Lewis Center, which is owned by Washington University. And, um, and they had their art department there and the art department attracted prominent faculty members, but in particular, the ceramics faculty was nationally known. There was a professor from Sèvres, the famous porcelain manufacturer in Paris, uh, Taxil Dois, and uh, Adelaide Robineau from Syracuse, New York, who was one of the most famous Americans. Uh, and several other important uh, uh, pottery sculptors. And today, uh, a University City pottery is very expensive and very collectible. We have a beautiful collection of it at the St. Louis Art Museum. Okay, there are the ladies oh, yeah. at the studio. Right. Uh, I believe the man on the left is E.G. Lewis. Okay, let's move to the next one. Okay. Now the spotlight here is on top of City Hall. Right. And Lewis tried to take it all the way to the fair to attract people over to the city. Right, and uh, it's still up there and it still works. And they said at the time that it was the most powerful spotlight in the world, but whether it was or not, I don't know, but uh, it still can be turned on. Uh, and it's pointing down toward what is now uh, Princeton Avenue in the University Heights number one neighborhood. Um, that street, that neighborhood was laid out in 1902, but none of the houses had been built. And in this drawing, you can see the streets there. So Lewis created a tent hotel there. 
he called it the tent city. And people could stay there in those tents at, while they were attending the World's Fair. And uh, of course, there were thousands of extra uh, hotel rooms built for the fair, and they were probably full most of the time because of the huge attendance there. That's the printing press for the uh, women's magazine. Thousands of big, I mean, it's a huge press. And so, Brett, you have any questions about this? Where is that printing? Is it, So that was on the high, like second or third floor? Or was that in the basement? The press was in the Egyptian building. It's torn down. If you look closely, you can see that the uh, there's a skylight on top and there's uh, Egyptian-style columns around the perimeter of the room. It was a spectacular building, especially on the inside. And this picture was taken at the dedication of the printing press and the man standing right in front with his hands in front of his dark suit is uh, David R. Francis who uh, had been the president of the World's Fair Corporation, the Louisiana Purchase Exposition Corporation. And he came to several University City events. This is where they printed their daily newspaper. It's a huge press. Yeah. Huge press. Uh, they thought there was another press that was behind City Hall where the police uh, department building is now. Uh, uh, or it was that part of that building uh, and that was a huge building also that was for the magazine publishing these uh, the building of uh, the Egyptian building was so spectacular that when Shar Emeth bought the building they thought that uh, they would be able to adapt it as a synagogue but they found that it was made out of poured concrete and you couldn't move any of the walls or anything else, so they had to take it down. There used to be a tunnel from City Hall over to the building, I heard. Yes, that's right. That must have been a very dangerous intersection there at Del Mar and, uh, and Kingsland because there were two different streetcar lines converging there, plus all the uh, vehicular traffic. Now, I heard the tunnel was still there, but closed off. That's right. They were a little worried that the roof of the tunnel might cave in when they put the streetcar line on top of it, but they had engineers check it out, and it's okay. Where is, where is the entrance and the exit of that tunnel? It would be on the, the one that I know of is at the northwest corner, where the sidewalk converges at the corner there of of Kingsland and Delmar. Okay. And then it would have been on the south side, about where the fountain is now, where the, the uh, Rain Man fountain Got is. Got it. Wow. Okay, next. My, my boys will be trying to find the, the tunnel. Right <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, those two pictures, the pictures of uh, Delmar. Yeah. Which looks totally different now. I, well, the, the apartment buildings are there in the back there. Essa, um, you may recall, I, I, I tried to do some reading. I can't recall uh, when the neighborhood starts changing. You know, there's a synagogue over in the loop area. In the back is the church now, but it used to be a synagogue. Yeah. Um, and and you know, when Lewis set up the 
area, he made it race-restricted covenants on it. But things changed, and I don't quite quite sure when the first change happened. Well, um, it was in the late '40s after uh, the uh, Supreme Court decision. Uh, and I can't think of the name of it. It had to do with a man here in in uh, the city of St. Louis. Shelley. Shelley, yeah. And uh, uh, Kramer versus Shelley. And uh, they, almost every neighborhood, except in the Ville neighborhood of the city, had racial restrictions about who could live there. And uh, the Supreme Court struck those down and said that they could not be enforced in federal courts because they were unconstitutional. And uh, at that point, uh, black people started to move in, but it was a very slow process because uh, people still found other ways to get around the law. But uh, initially, many of the buildings uh, were uh, in the apartment districts were owner occupied. The, they would be people who had small businesses downtown and they would invest in one apartment building and then they would live there themselves. So um, that made it a very stable neighborhood for many, many years. And uh, it, it by the, uh, I would say by the 20s and 30s, uh, it was largely Jewish and uh, uh, Stanley Elkin has actually written about that. Uh, the first uh, Jewish congregation in University City was Shar Emeth in 1931, but there was a conservative congregation in the red brick building that was just east of Skinker on Del Mar, a little bit before that. And, uh, and ironically, by the 1960s, there were no Jewish congregations left in the city of St. Louis. They were all in the county. So the entire Jewish population had moved uh, from the city to the county during that period. And so that's one reason why Central Reform Congregation on Kings Highway was founded, to make sure that there was a Jewish presence in the city. Uh, and uh, the, I would say that's there's a connection between that and the fact that University City's schools were considered so outstanding because uh, most of these immigrant Jewish families play, placed a high value on education for their children. One of the things, I went to a national neighbors conference when I was on New City School Board. One of the things they said, neighborhoods that stayed pretty much integrated had a strong Jewish population an educated population. Yeah. And that's one of the things that uh, made stabilization in some communities where many that did not have that element, they saw diversity as a strength rather than a weakness. And so that says a lot. Britton, you, you're down in that area now. What are the buildings over there look, look like? Has Wash, you bought all those out now? It, right on, around the loop? Yes. Yeah. Well, um, that Washu has purchased a lot of a, a lot of the buildings in the area. Um, I think right now there's a lot of question about um, how do you how do you value a piece of uh, commercial property in um, you know in the loop now. 
um, with 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 the current state of COVID and and what what's going to happen to retail and what's going to happen to um, movie theaters and you know uh, restaurants will, will probably be around but um, but I think there's a lot of flux right now I think there's a lot of uncertainty about what uh, where it's going um, you know my my uh, my family grew up uh, my father lived and my grandfather lived just right north of here at Sutter and Etzel. Um, so uh, my, my grandfather planted a church in University City in 1948 and uh, started in his home and then it became, uh, I think it was called the uh, University City Pentecostal Church at Sutter and Etzel, which then was purchased later by Mount Gideon Baptist Church and they've expanded on it, but they kept the original structure. Um, and uh, what's fascinating, you know, our, our church is in the Tivoli Theater. We actually hold services in the Tivoli Theater. Um, but when I was, or when my father was a, a kid in the 1950s, um, he would sneak down to the Tivoli Theater. They were kind of an old school Pentecostal where you didn't go to movie theaters and that sort of thing. But he would sneak down to the Tivoli Theater as a teenager on his bicycle and uh, go in and see the movies there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're gonna get back to uh, your part in the modern yeah. day, but I was wondering about the homes there. I know the school district didn't have enough students. They started buying up. You uh, watch, you started buying up property, and so they stopped those places there. Now, I, know the sold, I know they sold the former Nathaniel Hawthorne building, and that's become a, a housing area. And then, of course, they sold the Delmar Harvard elementary school, and I believe that's uh, their plans to become a hotel there. Well, the population of New City has shrunk so now, as most of the county districts, and uh, St. Louis County has shrunk, and so people are moving farther and farther away from the metropolitan area, and so we don't have all those schools, the parochial schools, that used to be in New City. Uh, Christ the King uh, has shrunk. Um, All Saints, which is in the Loop area, has closed. It's closed some time ago. The school, anyway. Uh, but most of the schools, have, uh, the parochial schools in New City, have pretty much given up the ghost. Uh, and there aren't too many left because you don't have kids. I'm quite, quite sure what the enrollment of the city is now. But looking down at the bottom picture is Delmar looking. I think that's from the top of the city hall. Yeah, and it, it's looking east, and you can see what I was saying about the loop was built before the buildings. The the area that's the loop and the bottom picture on the left is full of trees there. It's still kind of countryside. And uh, at the top picture, the loop is on the right, and you can see the building that was formerly Cicero's, it's called the Delmar building, was uh, was built by that time. So that's in the mid-20s. And in the top picture, notice on the left that uh, Delmar Garden neighborhood came right down to Enright. And uh, the first block of those apartment buildings was demolished in the 1960s in an urban renewal project. And that's where that huge parking lot is now. But originally, that, na that neighborhood was almost twice as big as it is now. Uh, and it was an unusual neighborhood because it had greenways, green parks running down the middle of all but one of the streets. 
So almost every unit uh, looked out onto green in that neighborhood. It was designed by Henry Wright, who was later a world famous land, uh, city planner. Uh, the, also the building, go ahead. Lower picture, if you look in the background, the largest pic, uh, building in the back, it's almost black uh, at, near the top of the picture. That was the first building built there. That was the Park Hotel, which was built in 1902 for the World's Fair. And that's hmm. still standing as apartments. I hear that. Wash, you own that now. Yes, I think that's right. You gonna say something, Brett? No, just that I, I was just that building looks so familiar. I was trying to figure out what it was. Now, now I know. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's Washington Avenue. Uh, that kind of gives you the top one is looking west on Delmar. I think the building on the right is uh, Fritz, and uh, you see the Varsity Theater, which oh, is yeah. vintage vinyl. Mm-hmm. Right. It's interesting that those two theaters were so different. The Tivoli was palatial. It, it very or, lavishly ornamented and uh, with expensive marble and things. And the Varsity was like a shoebox. It was just, just a box with seats in it, really. And now it's vintage vinyl. It's pretty loaded with more, more albums and CDs, I mean. I was in it yesterday. Uh, let's see what else. The, there used to be two grocery stores in the loop years ago. Yeah. When I moved, they were still there. They've been they're long gone, but there's pretty good sized stores. Can we see the next one? Okay. Oh. There we are. So Helen Wolf was an upscale clothing store. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that anymore down there. It's uh, more, uh, I guess, your boutique shops now. And as for you mentioned when I spoke with you, there was an airplane shop down there one time. In that uh, early picture that showed all the trees, on the right, there was a big white wooden building. And that's where one of the Benoit brothers B-E-N-O-I-S-T, made parts for early uh, biplanes. That's the early kind of uh, two-passenger airplanes. And that only was there for maybe five years. But he was a close friend of Albert Bond Lambert and the Robertson brothers and some of the other aviation pioneers from St. Louis who were leaders in that whole industry. There's a movie theater studio down at one time, uh, you can, let's see, I think I've got a picture of that. Let's try it again, let's move. The picture at the bottom of that is where the uh, 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 Blueberry Hill is now. Okay. Yeah. Um, City Hall used to be down on this side of the... Yes. Yeah, that's the farthest. Now at the bottom here is the movie, movie place. Movie. <laughs> and that's the old library. When I first moved to U City, that was the library I went to, to see about uh, books and things for the kids. And that stayed there, oh, up until not too long ago. They, they just tore it down, put it in the oh, 90s. it's still standing. It's still standing? That's 630 Trinity. Okay. And 
uh, the city has a consultant right now working on new plans for that. You can't recognize it from this picture because this is the east elevation and uh, there was an addition built onto that, so it, it's hard to see. But the other side of it, the west side facing Trinity, still has that classical look to it. And it's really a nice addition to our uh, civic plaza complex there. This garden was built where the old printing press building had been that I, I mentioned earlier. That burned in uh, 1937. It was 13 long bays long, and they only built rebuilt the uh, end five bays, and so that left the, all this space here where they were able to build this little garden. Yeah, Ackert Walk, uh, and this picture here I think is the uh, Kirkwood Ferguson line. It was a line that snaked through the the uh, county from south to north but it turned east to take in University City because that, of course, was a big uh, destination point for county residents who didn't have a lot of shopping in their little communities farther west. And uh, in Ferguson, they've actually made a monument where this line ended uh, just off of uh, New Florissant Road uh, at the Wabash Tracks in the middle of uh, Ferguson, downtown Ferguson. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, is that going directly north from Del Mar where the uh, Chuck Berry statue is? That's right. Okay. That's right behind Fitz, or uh, yeah, right. Sort or Jason of. to Fitz's, yeah. Fitz's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's surprising. Like Midland used to be streetcars. It's it's surprising all the streetcars we used to have in New City. Right. You didn't have to have a car, which is why people could live in those apartments. Okay, next. Move up a little. Okay, now we're going to look at today. Now, here we are, Britt, <laughs> your place down, right down the street there, not too far. Right. Uh, we've got a whole set of new shops. And uh, I heard last time I looked at this, there were 100 little shops around. Is that still true, Britt? You, you know more about that than I do. Yeah, so. Along that same uh, strip there, um, there is a florist. There are some boutique women's clothing stores. Um, there's a, a t-shirt shop, a hat shop, um, a, a, a game store, Wizard's Wagon. It's uh, like games and um, you know comics and that kind of thing. Candy store. Um, then you've got, uh, on the other side, you've got Plowshare, which is a uh, sort of non-profit um, retail space. Uh, oh, there's a place called Avalon Exchange where there's you exchange clothes and they, get, they give you the hip clothes. Um, so yeah, there are just a bunch of little shops up and down Delmar. Now, of course, coffee shops and Meshuggah Cafe and, and uh, there's a CBD or C, CBD store. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. It's like, uh, I can't remember what they call it, but something to help you calm down. Um, help you calm down? It's something like that. I don't know anything about it. I've never been in there, but supposed to have some ointments that'll relax you or something. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a pastor. I got to stay away from that stuff. Um, <laughs> so, 
Yeah, so it, there's a lot of, of course, a lot of little shops up and down that street. Oh, there's a, a jewelry store. Um, yeah. Silver Lady. Silver Lady, yeah. Yeah. So. It's an interesting stretch. Uh, years ago, I remember coming, the Tivoli now is open, but I remember dressing up, coming out to see the movie, and got there, and I was told I couldn't come in because of segregated. Uh, they hadn't passed a public accommodation at that point. And when was that, Dr. Wright? This was in the 50s. Oh, okay. Around 56, 7, 57, somewhere around there. Uh, it was closed. Uh-huh. Yeah. But now it's, how many, it's no longer one theater, it's about three? So there are three theaters in there now. Uh, the main theater seats about 450. And then there are two side theaters that each seat 150. Um, the main theater is, I mean, um, it's probably not as ornate as it may have been at one point, but it's got a very nice, um, you know, aesthetic in there. It's very beautiful. It's kind of art, I think art deco, uh, a lot of, um, just a lot of arches and, and rounded uh, ceilings and that sort of thing. Um, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And then of course, above that, um, there are uh, three floors of commercial office space. And um, so we, yeah, you know, we, we have our, our, our church in there. Um, so we rent the movie theater on Sundays and hold services. And then we have all of our office space and then they'll do uh, Sunday school ministry and all that on the second floor during, uh, on Sundays. Oh. So, so we've, um, yeah, that, that was a, that was a big uh, shift for us because we were looking for space that to, to, to plant a church, to, to launch a, a church and uh, checked every space in University City and none of them were either wouldn't or couldn't accommodate us for whatever reason. Um, at the last place I thought in the world that would open the door to us was, would be the Tivoli Theater. I just didn't think that was a likely outcome. Uh, you know, you got the Rocky Horror Picture Show on Saturday night. I didn't know if they wanted church services on Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> but we went in there and asked them, and they immediately said, sure, we'll, we'll do that. And so we've been in there for nine years now. So we started with 11 people. Uh, we're probably now close to 1,000. And I would say um, the demographics, um, from an ethnic standpoint, we're probably 40, 40 to 45 percent African American, uh, 40 or 45 percent uh, white, and then at least, you know, um, so 10 to 20 percent uh, from all around the world. I mean, uh, China, Brazil, um, Japan, Nigeria, Uganda. Mexico. I mean, I'm just thinking of folks right now. Um, just you know, hundreds of people from around around the world. So it is truly one of the most ethnically diverse uh, spaces that I've ever been in. Um, and then, of course, socioeconomically, it's very similar. So you've got professors and PhDs and 
And then we've got folks with, you know, GEDs and, and, and you know, Section 8 housing and, um, and, and ages too. We've got a ton of college students and young folk. We've probably got 150 little kids. Um, and then we've got, you know, moms and dads and middle-aged and grandmas and grandpas. And so it has truly been a very unique mix of people um, that, has, that has grown there. That community there has just grown uh, exponentially in that way, which I find to be very, very gratifying, very, you know, hopeful. What, what is about the loop? It's known all over the country yeah. as a special place. Yeah. What makes the loop special? <laughs> That's such a great question. I mean, I mean, people say, what about the loop? You're going to the loop. Yeah, I'm going to the loop. What's happening in the loop? What makes yeah. the loop special? You know, Why I wonder if, I, I wonder, I wonder if somehow or other, you know how you were talking about some neighborhoods preserving that kind of multi-ethnic, um, you know, a multicultural environment. Um, I, I wonder if, if there isn't something about that that is so attractive um, to people. Like the fact that you can come from, if you're in the city or if you're in West County, you can come to the Del Mar Loop. You're going to see all kinds of people. Uh, there's excitement. There's, you know, different, different people from different backgrounds, different walks of life. Uh, a lot of young people are there because of the university. To me, it just has always been, you know, an exciting place to be. It's just a fun and exciting an inviting place to be. Um, so I don't know what it, what combination of elements makes it that way, uh, because it's not like it's not like there's just one thing. Like oh, you know, you've got they've got the best, you know, hot dogs there or whatever. Like the best donuts. I mean, but it's a it's a feel. There's a feel there that I'm not quite sure how to put my finger on it. But I know that like the folks that come from all over St. Louis to come to, you know to our church, the one family church. A lot of people are from U City, but a lot of people come from, we have people coming as far west as, uh, um, oh gosh, I can't even remember this, it's, it's past Wildwood. And then we got people coming from Belleville and Edwardsville. I mean, we've got people coming from South City and, you know, um, but you know, you get there and then you kind of spill out onto the loop after service and there are restaurants and coffee shops and cafes and there's just a, there's a sense, maybe there's a hopefulness there where you get a sense of where we could maybe someday, what we could someday grow into. I used to host families who would come in through the World Affairs Council. Mm. And one thing I always took them to the loop. Yeah. After we had dinner or something for dessert, and there was always something going on in the loop. Mm -hmm. Sometimes street performers and different activities. It was a special place. Let's look at some of the pictures I've got here from the loop. Let's have it move down some. Okay, the cafes. You don't have too much of that now, but you know, you have quite a bit of cafes, quite a few of them, where people eat on the sidewalk and just spill out. You know, Dr. Wright, I, I just remember the first time I came back to the loop after having been away and lived in a lot of different places around the world. I was renting an apartment on Washington uh, because I was, I had gotten a job at a law firm downtown, and so I, I, I remember the first night I, I could hear drumming. So I came out of my apartment. I came down on the Delmar Loop. There were 
there was a drum circle, there were people walking around, there was just cafes and coffee shops and just, uh, I think there was a place called Brant's that might have been open at that time. And there was just, a, you know, there was just excitement. There was a lot of excitement. Yeah. And I always think that people have a special dress to wear when they go to the Loop. You <laughs> see people dressed in ways that you would never see in downtown St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by that, Ashley? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> clothing with a little more flair to it, uh, ethnic dress. In fact, you can buy ethnic dress in the Loop. Um, and uh, unusual hats and uh, jewelry. I've always thought somebody should do a photo book of styles in the loop. Yeah. Because, because I mean, I'm telling you, you know, you'll have a you'll have a jewelry maker sitting out on the sidewalk that's doing uh, copper and beads and glass and you know, and you can buy their stuff and you can wear it. And I mean, it's it does it does have a style. People people you know they they dress to impress. And is his um, is he he really did have a, a picture in his mind about what he what he thought the loop could be mm -hmm. um and he he pursued it always has ideas yeah he started the walk mm -hmm. walk of fame walk yeah. which is attracts a lot of attention yeah people come from all around looking at the stars in yeah. the street and it's a big thing when he uh puts another one in the street ah. it's all it's going down now as skinker. Right. Uh, so one time I know that uh, when you said it was sort of a place you didn't want to be in some people's minds, uh, and they didn't want to be associated with the loop, the pageant's there now, and they even say the pageant's part of the loop. Yeah. They've made the loop east, you know? Yeah. And so it, it's growing. I think it's going to go all the way down to the Bolivar. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time my family and I were walking down the loop. This is right before Peacock Diner had gotten started. And we were walking down the loop and uh, we looked, we were looking in the, the diner and <laughs> I could see Joe was the only person in there and he was arranging the peacocks, on, the ceramic peacocks on the shelf, just so, you know? And I thought, well, that's just interesting. This is a guy that owns you know, buildings up and down the loop, and and he's 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 fixing the de the details of the he got you know he's got a picture, of where, he's got a vision, you know. It's one thing had I'll tell you a story about the uh, Walk of Fame. <clears throat> I had a friend from Switzerland here, and I walked him the whole way up and down the loop, and we looked at every star, and I said to him, "Which are the people that are most important to you?" And he said, Tennessee Williams and Tina Turner, <laughs> which was totally unexpected to me. Yeah. I, I, I took my boys up and down the loop one time and we counted the lions. Oh. And, you know, starting with the lions here at the uh, west, uh, you know, uh, westernmost part of the loop. And then my son wanted to include all the lions that were carved into the flower beds. Um, the concrete flower. So, I mean, we ended up with a hundred and some lions up and down the loop. If you look at all the buildings and the little intricate pieces, I mean, you know, they're just, there's just infinite amount of interesting detail going on, you know. 
Well, Joe has made the place quite interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a different place. He has a book out, The Loop. You can buy the Walk of Fame book. And some of the stores carry it. They used to anyway. You could buy the book and see a little story of all the people in the Walk of Fame. Mm -hmm. uh, he has the ice sculpture days. Uh, yeah. And that's a lot of attention. Well, the streets are blocked off. The mannequins, you have the mannequins once a year with the beautiful decorative mannequins that they set up and down the loop. I don't know if you've ever seen that. They, they've had the deal where they have pianos, you know, painted pianos up and down the loop. There are all these different events that they're, they're just unique. You would not, I mean, who comes up with that? Like every store uh, decorates their own mannequin. Uh, you, it's interesting about you city, the loop. When U City was first started, it was a race restricted city. Only That's whites true. could live there. Yeah. And if you black, you had to have a badge or a photo ID to be in the city at night. Mm -hmm. Even if we walk around there, we've gone through some changes to be one of the most racially isolated, like many cities, to one mm. of the diverse cities in the country now. If you have an educated community. Right. <laughs> have an educated community. You see, uh, diversity as an asset rather than a liability. Right now we have people who believe diversity is a liability. And you have to, we have to remember that racism is a hustle. You gotta look at it as a hustle. You keep black folks miserable, white folks scared. And that's how people make money. If you think about it, when you when uh, Mill Creek was torn down and they had some place to put blacks. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, they built subdivisions in North County. And so you're frightened whites to move. Then you got a place for blacks to live. And so that's how money is made. You know, I, I live in Pagedale, and that was the time they had block busting. <laughs> and I remember they uh, bought a house, and I don't know if they bought it, rented it. They had a black family, moved on the block. And within a couple of months, every house was up for sale. And what you do at that time, you tell the whites, say, look, your house is worth $15,000 now. And if you stay here, you may go down to 10. But I got a nice place I want you to move to. I'm going to give you a nice place where blacks won't be. Then the black family comes and says, well, you know, I got this nice neighborhood, grass, nice schools, and uh, you love it out here. And right now I can get you a good deal for $20,000. It's a good deal. They bought it for the whites for 10, sold the blacks for 20, double the money. The, black, the whites don't get the money, the realtor, just the realtor and the bank gets the money. The blacks stay there for a number of years. I owe more money than this house is worth. And I've been paying for 10 years. So they run off and leave the house. 
That's what happened in many places. You go off and leave it. Because you can go get someplace else, cheaper, newer. And so the neighborhood goes down, but it's because of the hustle. Racism is a business. When it doesn't make money, it stops. The streetcars used to be segregated. It used to be horse-drawn care cars. When it was boycott in the late 1800s, people started losing money. It was okay to sit next to each other. When money stopped being made, it stops. Uh, we have to remember that. Yeah, it all is throughout the country. When racism comes in and people fight it, then it's okay to sit next to each other. It's okay to the restaurants to open up and people eat next to each other. When people when it's boycotted, people losing money, it all of a sudden becomes okay. Just you have to remember that. I totally get that, the way you put it. Yeah, it's, it's a hustle. You have to watch out till you don't get played. You know, it's, it's a game of money. And uh, keep black folks miserable so they always want to move. White folks scared so they always move to a new subdivision. They rebuilt the subdivision. Somebody's got to go there. So how do we get people there? We hustle them in. Frighten them in. You got to go. So University City, you had a educated community, a Jewish population that didn't want to give in to the fear factor and it saved, it thrived and survived. I, I, I always um, look at that because like, you know, U City and Pagedale and Wilston is like right around the corner from each other because you can cross the bridge and be in Pagedale. You can cross over to another street and be in Wilston. But as you go from U City to um, Pagedale to Wellston, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Like every like every neighborhood, like the houses get like ran down, or you just see a lot of vacant houses, or tr like just trash everywhere and stuff. Like in U City, you don't see that, but in Pagedale, you see it like a little bit. But in Wellston, that's like literally all you see. And so I get how you said they um. It's a, it's a, um, you gotta have educated people in your community to keep it thriving and up and going. And um, they tend to overpopulate the small, the small communities too. I mean, over police the small communities like Pagedale. Pagedale is so police that you can get pulled over by the same cop like three times. Like that's how. Awesome. Yeah, it's my, it's, it's to make the budget. Yeah. To make the budget, so you know you don't pay the fine, you end up with another ticket. So you end up paying more and more and more, and so those are some things people avoid because of. Have you seen any um, famous musicians in the loop? The only person I've seen down there is Chuck Berry. I was down there when they had the unveiling of the statue of Joe Edwards. They had that, but. Uh, I've seen no famous musicians, you know. Uh, uh, I haven't seen that. I've heard announcements. The pageant doesn't play my kind of music, you know. I, so I don't go, go through the pageant. I've seen the sign. I've seen people lined up going all around the block. You know, but that's not my kind of music. You know, all of us have our thing, you know. And my thing is not 
some of the things they have down there. I've gone more diverse in my music, my taste of music since I've been grown than I'd had when I was growing up because of my exposure to different music uh, and the styles that came out of the 60s um, during the freedom movement, like um, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Paul, Simon, and that group had a freedom songs. And so I got more into that type of music than, uh, yeah, like a little country and western. Uh, Ray Charles has country sounds and western music. And so I, I'm into music and uh, from various genres. I got introduced to Bob Marley in Africa. <laughs> I was in a truck and I said, what's that song, what's that song? I like that. Can you give me one of them tapes? <laughs> so the guy got me a tape. <laughs> so I had to go all the way to Africa when I was in India. I used to wake up to Bob Marley every morning and put it on the radio. What kind of music do you like? I like indie music, um, reggae, um, like old like old 90s music, like Gap Band, um, Sugar Hill Gang, uh, LL Cool J, Will Smith, uh, Cool in the Gang, The Boys, music like that. Um, I, I like hip hop when I'm dancing, but that's not like my go-to sound. Like my go-to music is always like, um, just like old music, like like 90s or 80s, stuff like that. Yeah. I can't tell you too much music in the 70s, not like I could do in the 60s. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, because of Gordy, uh, with the Jackson Five and all that, you every kid wanted to sing. You had more singing groups in high school. Everyone wanted to have their outfit and go from side to side and <laughs> had different colored suits on that all matched. That was the thing. You had more singing groups with the Jackson Five and all these groups coming up. So you can pretty, I can pretty well tell the period by the music. The blues came out in the 40s. That was a type of music in the 40s. Uh, and so certain periods produced their own music. And so the uh, rap music has a period. You can tell that period by the type of music that came out. And I think the economic conditions also bring about a certain type of music uh, where people begin to feel a certain way. And so rap music came out with police brutality and all the things. It brought about a certain type of music to address that issue. And so you began to relate music with periods of time in history. So it's good. It's good to keep up with it. Um, the older I get, the, my music broadens because of understanding the music. Do you know how long um, Vintage Vinyl been there? Uh, no, I don't. My son used to work there when it was Varsity Theater. Mm. Used to have uh, Rocky Horror Picture Shows. Mm. So I'd say it's been there at least 30 years. Wow. 30 years. Rocky Horror Picture Show used to be their specialty. I mean, uh, they dress up in costumes, say the, say the parts out loud. <laughs> 
a Rocky Horror Picture Show every now and then. They had books on it, uh, uh, videos about it. It had a cult following. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty. Uh, you said he had several show movie theaters at one time. So I got another question. What is what was it like before? Um, Joe Edwards started restoring the buildings like the Tilvia and the pageant. Well, people running, like I told you, in the 60s, mm-hmm. people began to desert the area, mm-hmm. feeling like it was going to go to hell. And so Joe <laughs> invested in the Blueberry Hill, mm-hmm. started buying buildings, and then you had others began to come into the area, and things began to settle down in the 80s. And so began to grow mm-hmm. in the meantime it was a, I was on the school board uh, the taxes were low because the property didn't bring hardly any money it wasn't unusual to have a dollar tax increase mm-hmm. uh, and so now with the with the, uh, the way the taxes are you get money coming in now and right now Wash used buying up quite a few prop by a bit of property mm-hmm. in the loop. They bought that Pete Shore say that's a uh, strip that's invested. I think they just land banking it now to do something with it later. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the park is on baseball park is on Kingsland. That used to be a dump. Mm-hmm. You, know, you said it was the edge of town, you know, it's the edge of town. So you have to remember that always what you see now in the early late 1800s is all farmland the really? guy who uh, was a pilot you see with Eleanor Roosevelt mm. the Tuskegee Airmen mm. he grew up on a farm black man grew up on a farm in University City wow they don't have that in history books but he, he went into Sumner High School he built his own plane and flew all the way out to California using road maps. Wow. Charles Anderson is his name. Why ain't got a statue of him somewhere? <laughs> no, they don't. You said wow. that he list them in their books. Wow. That's great. No, well, you know, we have to tell our own story. If people don't tell it, we have to tell it. True. You know, we have to make sure it's recorded. Uh, people, Anderson grew up in, as a kid, lived in your city on a farm. Had to go into Sumner High School because he couldn't go to school out here. And um, they wrote the U City history. He was left out. There are probably other stories like that. Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah. There are probably more other stories like that, too. If it's one, it's a, if it's one, it's like 10. If it's 10, it's a thousand. If it's a thousand, it's a million. So I said, what I have now history, lost, straight or stolen, you know? Yeah. It's just taken out of books. And so I do a little writing on local history. I'm working on a project now, civil rights in St. Louis from the beginning of the history of the city till now. And so I'm working on that, trying to get that organized. And so it's it's interesting things you find out. I'm reviewing a book now for University of Missouri Press and learning some things from it. 
Um, okay, so Delmar Lupus voted one of America's 10 best streets. What characteristics do you think that stand out, that make that stand out? I think because of all the shops, mm. uh, the variety of shops, the comfort, the people can walk up and down uh, and get some flavor, international flavor, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you have a variety of food you can get on the... I'm still looking for a good soul food restaurant, but <laughs> other than that, it, it, it's okay. Uh, you got a little of everything there. And so it, it's good. But I think shops, restaurants, make it uh, within a few blocks. Mm -hmm. I think that makes it very much desirable place. Yeah, I can see that. Well, I can see that. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot on one street. My favorite thing to do is um, so I I live right around the corner from it, so I practically go there like all the time. So I go to the store called Avalon. It sells like clothes, shoes, jewelry, and I like all that stuff. Ma mainly jewelry. So I go to the store a lot. I, we, uh, we walk up and down the strip just for nothing, just because. And we either go down there to, like dance, um, just to sit. It's, it's, it's beautiful things down there. Well, around the corner, it's around the corner. Maybe we'll run into each other one day in the loop. We will. This program is a special edition of Stitchcast Studio called The Why of My City and is funded by Missouri Humanities Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. Funding for this grant is provided by the CARES Act and the National Endowment for the Humanities. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches.